Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is Anthony Anarino, author of Eat Their Lunch, Winning Customers Away From Your Competition, and you are listening to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails? Really? That's the name of this? Yes. Hello and welcome to this hopefully short-lived series that will be airing in addition to the weekly marketing book podcast interviews. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett, and my goal during this unusual time is to reconnect you with past guests on the Marketing Book Podcast, share some ideas and inspiration, and maybe a much-needed laugh or two. I've interviewed over 200 authors on the show, and my plan is to continue this series until I either run out of authors or quarantine, whichever comes first. A word of warning, the host and guest may very likely be drinking cocktails during these conversations. I mean, come on. They are recorded during the cocktail hour. To find the show notes for each episode with pictures of each guest and links mentioned in their conversation, visit marketingbookcocktails.com. Marketingbookcocktails.com. See what I did there? And if you'd like to join the conversation, email a voice recording to me at douglas at salesartillery.com, and I'll try to include it in a future episode. I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat. Anthony Anarino, welcome to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. (laughs) Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails, that's hysterical. Well, good, good. So it really is a thing. I I know you you seemed a little uh, surprised there, but you know what? Um, That's because you're a funny guy, Anthony Anarino. And for folks who don't know who you are or or don't remember the three times I've interviewed you on the the Marketing Book Podcast, you're the author of The Only Sales Guide You'll Ever Need, which was your first book. And we all kind of thought, well, that's... um, that's, sort of a limiting Yeah, title, that's kind of a self-limiting it? thing. So <laughs> then you got over that, and then you uh, wrote uh, The Lost Art of Closing, Winning the Ten Commitments That Drive Sales, which was a uh, just another fantastic book. And uh, then the third one is Eat Their Lunch, Winning Customers Away from Your Competition, which is all about competitive displacement. And we can talk about that. And your Anthony Anarina is a sales coach, and he's got a uh, consultancy, and he's one of the four titans, which is uh, uh, Jeb Blunt, Anthony Anarino, Mark Hunter, and Mike Weinberg. And I think I've interviewed those guys 11 times now, because they all four of them, they, they put on the Outbound Conference that I've attended twice. And it's just, uh, you guys write great books, you're very good friends, and people should just go ahead and sign up for whatever books you all produce, because they're they're <laughs> They're consistently good. Now, the only sales guide you'll ever need, let me just take you down memory lane uh, for the listener's benefit. That book, there were you know, all these, there are lots of takeaways, but the big one there was it brought to mind, and you may have even quoted him, General Mattis, the Marine, the retired Marine Corps general, U.S. Marine Corps general who was later the Secretary of Defense, and he said something like, on the battlefield, the most important six inches 
are the space between your ears. And that book was all about getting your head right to be successful in sales and as, as a person. And then The Lost Art of Closing, yes, it has closing, but again, this is just my my takeaway and my recollection is it's it's actually much more about following a sales process and closing is actually something that's just baked in uh, throughout. And then Eat Their Lunch is one I have not read another one like that. It's all about honestly, ethically stealing business away from your competition. Not because they're bad or you're bad, but because they're probably not taking the best care uh, of their customers. So the other thing that I want to uh, ask you about is, so folks can also know that, so Anthony, when he got out of high school, he went to LA and became the lead singer in a hair metal band, okay? And he looked a lot at the time like the lead singer for the uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. And if you if you when you see him now, you'll see he's got a you know, very good-looking guy, looks a lot like my bro- my older brother and he's got a shaved head. Then made his way back to Ohio, got a, went to college, got an English degree, later got a law degree and uh you know, there's there's a few other things that that have happened in between there. But Anthony, I was I've had the distinct pleasure of watching you keynote at the Outbound Conference, as well as watch some some videos you've done. And I was wondering if, in this conversation, if you might be able to share what happened in L.A. Uh, and I think the story starts when somebody kissed you in a bar. Well, it doesn't really start there, but that's uh, it's <laughs> well, that's, certainly that's the part I re- really really got my attention on. <laughs> <laughs> that says a lot about you, but not a lot about me. Yes. Uh, yeah, I was. I went to Los Angeles because uh, I had been playing rock and roll, and I was playing the biggest venues in the city where I'm from, Columbus, Ohio, and we were traveling around Ohio playing. And I had a, a, a girlfriend at the time who said, you're really good at this. You should go to L.A. and front a hair metal band out there. So I, I literally... Uh, very shortly after that conversation, got in my car and I drove to Los Angeles and I got a job at a staffing firm. It was the only thing that I knew how to do. It was in my family's business. And mm-hmm. and it was pretty easy for me to get a job because I had experience, number one. And number two, when people in LA find out you're from Ohio, they're ready to hire you just right on the spot. They're like, wait a second, Midwestern person? Great. You're going to have a work <laughs> ethic. We can actually trust you to show up and not run off to the beach or the mountains every day. Um, which, which is generally true for natives of California. There's so many distractions and so many things to do. Yeah, and actually, and, l- I don't know if you're going to get to this, but there was one day where they came to you and said, why are you doing so well here and you need to cut your hair? Yeah, I had a new manager. And it, it maybe the worst possible thing that can ever happen to you is you have a manager that's uh, totally checked out and ignoring you and letting you do whatever you want to do. And then you get a manager who's suddenly engaged and they want to decide, wait a second, we could do a lot better than we're doing. And we weren't doing very well. I was actually doing well, but the branch wasn't doing well. And when I got this new manager, he realized that of the three salespeople there, none of them were winning any business. And I was winning business and my job was operations. I wasn't a salesperson and he couldn't figure out, how's this guy who's not the salesperson getting all these accounts? And I explained to him, I call people. Uh, because this is what I was taught to do. If you're not busy, call people and see if they can use some help. And I would ask people to meet with me, and they would say yes, some of them anyway. 
And I'd go sit down with them and they'd share their problems. And I'd ask them if I could help and people would give me orders and then they became my clients. And when I told him that, he was just overwhelmed with joy. And he said, that's the best thing I've ever heard. I want you to cut your hair and go into outside sales. And I could not in a million years imagine either of those two things. One, cutting my hair. And so I protested and said, I don't front a rock band. I front a hair metal band. You know, So it's in the description of what you're doing. It's in the job description. That's what it's a requirement. And uh, that didn't work on him. But ultimately, we argued for a little while, and he he threatened to fire me if I didn't cut my hair and go into outside sales. And he he said one thing to me, and then he ended the uh, argument by turning his back and walking away. He said, listen, you work for me, and you're going to do the job that I need you to do, not the job that you want to do, or I'm going to fire you. And uh, I I went to uh, a bar called Mom's in Brentwood, got my friends trying to get some sympathy and maybe some counsel on how to manage this thing. And uh, it was dark in the bar and somebody came up and grabbed me and was kissing me. And Doug, you know, it was, it was uh, sexy and I, I felt something. Uh, but mostly I felt disconcerted by the fact that I didn't know the man that was kissing me. And it turns out to be one of Anthony Kiedis's best friends. And that's who he thought I was. So right. Uh, it was it, it was this sort of moment where I was able to rationalize, like, okay, wait, so maybe I go Chris Robinson, Black Crow's shoulder length, so I don't look like everybody in LA having, you know, waist length, uh, dark hair. And uh, I, I cut my hair and I went into outside sales and continued to play rock and roll at night with a, a much shorter ponytail. I still had, by anybody's uh, measurement, I still had long hair, but it wasn't touching my waist. And that was the deal. It couldn't touch my waist. So it was just a little longer than shoulder length. And that uh, manager and I together, we took the branch from 2,000 hours of production, so call that 50 people working, to 22,000 in about a year. And uh, so we, we massively grew the business together with me sort of bird dogging and getting appointments and getting in front of people and then bringing him in to help me close big deals. Mm. So... Anthony, I just want you to know that I, after hearing that story, I can never listen to the Red Hot Chili Peppers or see them without you coming to mind. So thanks for that. <laughs> I'm happy that that's the outcome. Every time you hear the Red Hot Chili Peppers, you'll think of me. Yeah, yeah. So at any rate, you uh, then had a, a medical issue and you had to deal with a with an expert and there's a sales message in there. Yeah, there's a, I was maybe, I don't know, a, a year, six months, eight months, sometime into my sales career. And I walked up the steps to my Brentwood apartment and had a grand mal seizure on the way in. And I was taken to UCLA where I immediately had a, a CAT scan and an MRI. And if you get two of those things right in a row, you've got something bad happening. So they saw a spot and they wanted a closer look and, they took a look at it, and it turns out that I had something called an arterial venous malformation. And that's just a fancy way of saying a group of arteries and veins that grew into a knot, but it had been pushing on the back front right lobe of my brain, and it actually damaged the brain. So I had to have it removed, and I mean, probably the first lesson was the two surgeons from UCLA were very bad salespeople. I mean, they were like, <laughs> let us do this. It's going to be so good for us. 
we're going to have a group of people watching this and learning, and we're going to videotape it, and we're going to use it to train people in the future. There was nothing about my survival, <laughs> right. or the success of the uh, of the the procedure or anything like that. It was all so about them. It was. It was really strange to hear somebody say that. And at that point in time, I'd been in the hospital for, I don't know, 18 hours or some number like that. And I hadn't even called my parents. So I'm 25. I live by myself. I'm just 25. I'm, I'm living in L.A. And I had to stop them and say, would it be OK if I called and talked to my parents? And uh, I did. And my aunt happened to work for a neurosurgeon. And they told me the best guy in the world to give you a, a removal of an AVM is John two in Cincinnati of, of Ohio. And that that's like right by my house to an hour and a half away. So I went home to Columbus and then I had Dr. John two uh, remove the AVM and the damaged brain. And that took me uh, six days in the hospital and about call it 90 days to fully recover. Mm. Wow. So <clears throat> you, you had definitely had some, uh, adversity there. And uh, let's talk briefly about what's going on now. You know, I, I, I go to your blog, thesalesblog.com, and I'll include a link to it at this episode's show notes at marketingbookcocktails.com. See what I did there? I do. And uh, this, this is a thing, Anthony. This cocktails thing is real. I know you're still kind of wondering if this is really a thing, but uh, you're in now. And uh, I didn't even get to disclose my cocktail of choice here. Oh, what is it? This is a, a house blend, not, not Pike's, uh, Starbucks, and they stopped making house blend, but my wife has sort of gathered up all of the house blend from all over the city. So we're, we're stockpiling it in this quarantine to make sure that we have house blend for as long as we possibly can. Excellent. Another good choice uh, your, your wife has made, another good decision she's made. And I should also add for the listener that he didn't mention alcohol, and cocktails do not actually have to have alcohol in there. So I am in no way uh, encouraging people to drink uh, if they don't want to, although it seems like an awful lot of authors uh, are all too happy to drink, particularly those that suddenly can't go on the road and give keynote speeches. So, yeah, everyone is uh, suddenly available, and I'm taking advantage of it, and the listeners are uh, are really enjoying it. But even on your blog, and if I'm not mistaken, you blog every single day like Seth Godin? True, 10 years. Amazing. And uh, so, you know, you can just look on there. Even some of the more recent ones are talking about, you know, selling in a downturn. And what, what are some of the questions that you're getting from your clients and from your uh, readers and, and fans about – What's changing and what's going on with this whole pandemic? I mean, the first thing that immediately showed up was, should I continue selling? And to me, that was a really, really interesting question. And it says a lot about how we think about these things. So uh, my opinion of selling is that selling isn't something that you do to someone. It's something that you do for someone and with someone to benefit someone. Mm-hmm. And my, my thinking, you know, I'm, I'm immediately taken aback by the question, specifically because if our job is to go out and help people get better results when things are good, then the duty and the obligation we have to them to go help them get better business results when things are completely off the rails and we're in uncharted water has to be far greater than our obligation when things are good, because now they really need our help. Mm-hmm. And and I had to share this with a lot of people a number of times for people to get up the courage to call and talk to not only their clients, but prospects who are now in what I'm going to 
guess is the largest hole we've ever dug for ourselves. I mean, this is they're they're talking about a forty percent reduction in the size of the economy in the second quarter. Uh, the Great Depression was a fifty percent reduction uh, of the size of the economy. So forty percent with forty seven million people on unemployment is an unimaginable situation. And it's going to take all of us working very hard to put the train back on the tracks and get this thing moving again. And it's going to take time and energy to do that. And this is what salespeople really need to understand now. They need to understand marketing people too. We have to help people find the confidence to make the decisions, even though they're still anxious, even though they still have fear, even though they don't want to make a decision because they don't want to be wrong. But the faster we help them recover, the faster we recover the economy and the faster we recover our own businesses. And so I continue to say, if you want your business to do better and you're in a sales role or a marketing role, your job is to go help other people make their business better because that's the only way your business gets better and it's the only way the economy gets better. So we have to go start having these conversations now and start putting things in place as the quarantine starts to wind down. And. The key word is is helping, and I wonder if the people that said, should I be selling, have a, a self-image problem as it relates to, to to what they're doing. In other words, there are obviously people who are thinking more that sales is something you do to someone rather than uh, with and, and for. But also, it seems like that mental adjustment might be helped for salespeople and marketers if they are able to empathize a bit more and think about what is it they need help with rather than what do we need to sell? Well, there's, that's always true. Mm-hmm. I mean, the more that you worry about what you're selling, the worse you're going to do. The more you worry about how do I help this other person get a, a business outcome that they need and they're struggling to get, the easier selling becomes for you because you're focused on the right thing. You're supposed to be helping them. And the more you do that, the better. And I like the word empathy And I like it for the sort of patience that it it helps people understand. When people are afraid, going fast doesn't make them any more confident. (laughs) I mean, so you have to slow down. But empathy to me is uh, walking a mile in someone else's shoes, you know, understanding where they are. But for me, there's another word and another charge that I would say is more important, and that's compassion. Compassion is walking a mile in their shoes and recognizing that their shoes are three times smaller than they need to be. And getting them a pair of shoes that fits them. And and the difference is empathy is I feel you. But compassion is I'm doing something about it. And if you want to help people, then you actually have to not empathize. You have to go do something to help them. And uh, I'm not pretending like people are waiting and hoping salespeople call them to offer their help. Because they're not. They're still afraid and they're going to be for some time. But you still have to do what's right. And what's right in good times happens to be what's right in bad times even more. Hmm. So have you been trying, uh, coaching your clients on, on maybe how to open the conversation? I mean, it seems like I've heard from folks that are thinking, well, how do I start this? In other words, like, you know, you think of it, of an ad that says, you know, we realize things are crazy. I mean, is there some sort of language that people are able to, um, append to their outreach to, uh, try to, uh, recognize the the elephant in the room and, and yet still have a conversation? 
Yeah, the, of, of course, there there always is. And so this is sort of bedside manner, right? Mm. And it, it, it's how you approach the conversation. If I say, Doug, listen, your business is in deep trouble. I've got something I want to put in place for you to help you right now. And I'm going to need you to meet with me and, and look at what I'm saying because it's going to be very helpful for you. That approach may be true and it may be honest and it may be candid and it may be direct, but I probably caused anxiety where somebody's going like, now, like we're, we're trying to figure out how to survive right now. Why are you telling me to do something when I'm cutting people and we're furloughing people right now and we're cutting costs and all these other things? But if I were to say something like, Doug, now is not a good time and uh, you're going to need time to sort of right the ship right now. But I want you to know that we're thinking about you right now. We've looked at your business. We have some ideas on generating revenue and maybe helping you capture some of what you lost. And you're not going to be ready to do this for weeks. And it might be a few months before we can even put anything in this in, like this in place. But I would like to have a conversation with you, share some ideas. When it's time, you'll know how we're thinking about this. And in the meantime, if you need anything, you'll know that we're here to help. Um, what do you look like for a 20-minute briefing where I can just share with you three things that might help you with the revenue right now and two ways to increase your profitability that we put in place for our clients? And even if you do this with somebody else, I'd like to share them with you. Mm. That's great. I can just see the prospect's body language change. And uh, you're also talking there about something, one of many things from your books and talks that have really seared itself into my sales consciousness, and that is the, the idea in, in Eat Their Lunch where you, you have these, uh, you, you come in from the left or people come in from the left up the sort of the, the, the four steps and you come in from the other side. And I can even remember at a keynote once you were saying – you know, there's these are. Uh, I'd, how would it be for? It's in the book too. The whole script. <laughs> to, yeah, yeah. How how would it be if I gave you a briefing on a twenty minute briefing on what? Uh, in a good time, I guess uh, a twenty minute briefing on three things that you should know about that's coming down the pike uh, based on our experience with companies like yours, and I'll give you a copy of it that you can share with your management team. Um, can you explain that concept? That is one of my favorite ones about the 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 four. I guess it's the the four steps. So four four levels of value. Right. So okay. the the coming in from the right is coming in with a strategic outcome, instead of coming in saying, "Let me tell you about myself and my company, and let me tell you about our products and services, and let me tell you how I'm helping your competitors and things like that." Mm -hmm. It's just it's a different starting place. But the the general uh, principle here. And I tend to write about principle-based things that are going to be powerful for a long time and not something that's a fad and uh, driven by the here and now, more driven by how human beings respond to certain types of communication. But what I'm doing is I'm trading value. So I'm saying I'm going to give you massive value by giving you a briefing of these trends, some of the things that are going to happen in the next 18 to 24 months, some ideas about what you might do about those things, whether you do them with us or with someone else in exchange for 20 minutes of your time. So what I've done is I've created a tremendous disparity here. So I'm giving you massive value. I'm giving you insights and ideas and things that you can use. You're giving me 20 minutes. So it's it completely in the client's favor, favor. And the reason I'm asking for 20 minutes, it probably won't be 20 minutes. If you have a good, reasonably good conversation, it's an hour. But I'm trading more value than I'm asking for in time. And this has to be true in any time you ask a client to do anything. There has to be more value for them 
than there is for you. Not that you're not going to capture some of the value that you create, but they have to recognize the value for them first. And when you come in with language like that, and it's other-oriented, and it's about their future and their success and nothing about you, you make it a lot easier for people to say yes. Yes, it's and nowhere in what you just said did you say, I'd like to talk about our products and services. Um, <laughs> it was all about what they what they need to know and also baked into that is uh this is something you you probably ought to know and it's going to help you uh with some of those things like being able to look ahead which if they're really busy they're they're focused on the here and now and uh also will make them look good look good to their peers it'll be good for their their career and it's really made it hard for anyone trying to sell anything to me um so i guess what i could do is when i get all these emails or these voicemails that we don't we don't answer, can't answer the phone anymore. I, I should just send them a link to my interview with you <laughs> about either. Try, try again. Right. Here's a script you can use to call me. Yes. Yes. And what do you uh, have to trade in value? Yeah. Yeah. And also, um, there in that book, it got very granular. Like here's here's the here's what you should be doing every week. Here's how many weeks you should do it. Here's the cadence. It was. It was uh, very helpful. Are there, there's probably, uh, oh, I should say, let me ask you something. This is real inside baseball. Today I was reading this book called Inked by this guy named Jeb Blunt. Yeah. And because uh, I'm interviewing him next week. And and he's going to be joining the Marketing Book Podcast Four Timers Club, which uh, is very important to him because Anthony Anarino is only in the Marketing Book Podcast Three Timers Club. And uh, you guys are very Just wait. Be, be patient. <laughs> right. That's right. So, uh, I, I immediately went to the, uh, I, I looked through all the book before I start reading. I looked in the acknowledgments and it said, it mentioned you and Mark and Mike, and it said, thank you, Anthony, for letting me use that title of the book. Was that a, was it a book title you were going to use? Uh, it was what my original title was for the Lost Art of Closing. I, I was going to call that book Ink. Oh. And, uh, and, and I, I, when he was telling me he was, uh, contemplating names and, and you have to understand jeb and i are are very very close like mm -hmm. one of my very very best friends we talk for hours on the phone his wife thinks i'm jeb's second wife or i mean like we it's friday night i'm still on the phone with him and she's ready to go to dinner or something because we talk uh, anytime <laughs> he's driving in and he's talking about this and i said listen i got a title for you and and he goes okay what is it and i said inked and he's like, oh, my gosh, you have to let me have that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I said, you can have it. I said, it's yours. You can use it. I was going to use it for the Lost Art of Closing. But if you're an author, you you hang on to things like that. I mean, you, you grab things that you know you're going to want to use at some point in the future. But the Lost Art of Closing, if, if I could go back and rename it, I probably would have just called it Ink because that's the end result if you get all these things right before you get to it. But you don't get to name your own book. And uh, if you don't get to name your own book and you've missed the opportunity, why not give that to your friend? Yeah, those damn publishers. Yeah, occasionally they do know something. But um, take us back, though. There was another book I was reading, and I can't remember if it was yours or one of Jeb's. It's all a blur now. But you guys were having another conversation, and that's where one of you mentioned this concept of rain barrels versus rainmakers. Yeah, I, I wrote that on a blog post, and we were on the phone talking about Outbound, oddly enough. 
And uh, I started reading him this post. And that's when we decided to use that as the theme for 2019's Outbound. So it ended up being rain barrels. And a rain barrel doesn't do anything. It just sits with the top of it open for water to come into it and capture it. And a rainmaker, you know, you go out and you actually make things happen. You you go create opportunities. And outbound is sort of the result of, you know, what do you want to call it? Ten years of people telling salespeople, just wait for leads, use inbound marketing, don't call people and interrupt them. They'll never work with you if you do these things. And mm-hmm. and I for some reason it just dawned on me, like they're telling people to be rain barrels. Like just sit and wait. The worst possible decision, not only for salespeople, the worst possible decision for anyone anywhere doing anything, sit passively and wait for good things to come to you. Not a good strategy. And, and, and very instead, timely right now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, that's right. And pe- there are some people, uh, you probably have had authors on here taking advantage of this time. Uh, this is a time when you're home, so you can spend more time with your family and if you had projects like me that you wanted to get uh, ahead of, this has been a great time not to be on an airplane or in a hotel room and being someplace where I could get some work done. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm taking advantage of authors, and it's mainly because I heard so many. I heard from so many author spouses saying, "Would you please set something up so you can talk to this person? Because <laughs> I need a break." I, I'm I'm wondering when I'm going to be evicted from my house. You know, I've been here too long already. Yes, I've spoken to a couple authors who said they have not been home this much since like 2003 or something, and all their families are having to. Well, I think they at first tried to adjust to it, and then they've pushed back and said, "No, you're going to have to adjust to us. <laughs> We've got a routine here. We we kind of." you know we were used to you being gone so much so yeah that's uh that's interesting um, and i'm i miss it and i know i have friends that do uh as well i mean i i am very happy to get on an airplane and go be in a room with people and uh, it it's something i enjoy tremendously and not being able to do it and even being able to do it virtually it's just not the same it doesn't feel the same at all it doesn't, and it's very uh, natural, and I'm reading a book right now that I'm going to be interviewing the author about soon, a Harvard Business Review book by Nick Morgan called Can You Hear Me? And it's all about virtual uh, communication. And I'm about halfway through, but he, he says, look, it's just not as good as um, uh, human beings being around each other. It really doesn't use – it doesn't take advantage of all of our uh, resources we have for dealing with people directly. It's, it's just a, a, a tiny sliver of that. So what this, this is why I keep telling people that when they describe this as the new normal, I tell them to go home and tell it to your robot girlfriend. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not interested. Yeah. This is, this is not the new normal. Like we're, we're not going to have technology uh, in between us for the things that are important to us. This is a short time in history. It's going to be longer than we want it to be, but shorter than people think. And we're going to go back to getting together with human beings in rooms. Yes, and there was a yet another post you did recently about how this is actually going to bring people closer together. I'm 100% certain of that. I'm 100% certain. We miss each other. We, we want to get together. I want to go. To, I want to take my wife to dinner. Like I'm on the road quite a bit, but... When I'm not, when I get home, we go to dinner, we go to lunch, we go to movies, we go to the theater, we do all kinds of things. 
And uh, we're all going to go back to getting together with our friends and our families. This is totally unnatural for human beings. We're social animals. We've always been social animals. This isn't going to change that. Yeah. What are some things that could probably help people? I'm thinking particularly in sales as it relates to virtual, though, because the, it's uh, there's probably still some things that people could be doing better. I was on a, a virtual um, training a week ago, and some people had their cameras on and others didn't. And I said to one person, like, why don't you turn your camera on? And she said, uh, it's broken. And I said, no, it's not. It has a pink post-it note over it. And if you pull the post-it note off, then we'll be able to see you. <laughs> and she said, okay, I'll turn my camera on. But that's a big one. Like being able to see the other person is critically important. It's giving us a very different type of communication. And I imagine Nick would put that in his book. Like there's a different kind of communication when I can at least see your face. We can smile at each other. We can acknowledge that I'm picking up what you're saying and that you're paying attention to me. All those kinds of things are really, really important. And when people have their their video off, you don't know if they're paying attention. You don't know if what you're saying is making sense to them. It's just much better if you have that camera on, even if you're shy. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was another author I was talking to a couple of days ago, Marcus Sheridan, and he was talking about how it's almost like a... I guess Sandler would say, you know, like an upfront contract where you got to explain why they need to have their, you know, get a commitment from them as to uh, why having the camera on is going to help them. And he said most of the time he's found that people will say, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, I can, I can do that. And if they can, it might be actually a very good reason. Like, oh, I can't, it doesn't work, but I can get another computer or something like that. And, and from what I've or, read. In, or, or what if your beard just hasn't grown in all the way? Well, thank you, uh, <laughs> Anthony. Anthony uh, and I, uh, Anthony could see that I hadn't shaved in approximately four weeks. And, uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, it hasn't grown in all the way, but I'm kind of growing it out out of curiosity. And also I heard they were casting some Civil War uh, films. They needed extras here in Virginia. So um, you're, you're a shoe in, I promise you. <laughs> right. Right. I don't think it'll last long. Uh, but just before I shave it all off, I will take some pictures in case anybody uh, really wants to see it. But uh, I've never gone this long without shaving. It's probably that holdover from the uh, my days in the Army. But also, at one point, when I was uh, a Madison Avenue ad man, one of my accounts was the Schick Razor Company. So I've just been uh, obsessed with shaving for a long time, except for the last four weeks. So, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens here. So what can you say, if anything, about uh, other – other books uh, that are in the works? Well, I, I can say a lot about books that are in the works. R right now, my primary... Without um, having to kill me, that's what I mean. <laughs> well, I don't know. You look dangerous now. <laughs> right. the, the, the book that I'm working on right now is a book about leading growth. And so I'm writing now a book for sales leaders. And if you were to talk to any of my peers, the critical nature of leadership when it comes to sales and growth... Uh, can't be overstated in any way, shape, or form. And I've done a lot of work now working with leaders and managers and giving them workshops and helping understand how to help them better. And so the next book is going to be a book on leadership. Oh, and then there's there's four more behind that that Whoa! I have sort of an outline for. And I did I was sort of unfair, so I took this year off of writing because I wanted to be fair. You know, I, I wrote The Only Sales Guide and published it in October of 2016, 10 months later in August of 2017, I put out 
the Lost Art of Closing, those books were way too close together. Oh. I didn't give people time, you know, to even get the first book before I had a second book out. And then 14 months later, I put the third book out. So it's three books in three years. It was just way too fast. And I decided to take the year off of writing and just promote the books that I have, make sure that people were catching up with this. Uh, while I, I did the work to to build the content for um, what will be my fourth book. Mm-hmm. And then behind the fourth book, we'll, we'll have a little bit of a pivot to things that are a little broader than sales and business. I see. Okay. Well, good. Well, uh, one thing, one last thing I want to ask you about was the Outbound Conference. Like I said, I've been to two of them, and you've done three, I think. And the fourth one this year, for now, it was going to be in May. It's been rescheduled to uh, August. August. Tell folks what this conference is. It's Cirque du Soleil in a KISS concert. If mm-hmm. you were to, to marry those two things together and they had a baby, that would be outbound. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Anthony you know actually this. does most of the acrobatics. <laughs> I tried to get the pyrotechnics too, but it's uh, there's a fire marshals have strong opinions about that. The um, You've been, so you know, it's hard to describe. It's a very high energy conference. There are no sponsors that take the stage and pitch. No one's allowed to pitch from the stage anything that they do or sell. It's all just pure value creation for the audience. And we require that anybody who speaks or does a workshop is responsible for practical, tactical, actionable insights that allow people to go back and get better results as soon as they leave outbound. But it's got uh, rock and roll music. There's no breaks. I mean, there's breaks for you to go to the the restroom and get something to eat and those things. But it's one speaker as they're walking off, the next one's coming up and it's just a very, very high energy show. It's unlike any other sales conference any of us have ever been to. So I think it's the most fun you can have if if you care about sales and you care about growing your business, this is about the most fun you can have. And I argue that really smart marketers should be going to that rather than another marketing conference because the more they understand about sales, the more effective I've seen them to be as, as marketers. Uh, but it's also an all-star. I mean, gosh, there must be 20 speakers, I'm guessing. And they're all- 20. Yeah. Oh, is it 20? About off. They're all authors, all these really famous- uh, folks and uh it's very carefully choreographed but the, the the bigger issue is that who would have thought that years ago that you would have a conference called outbound it's almost it brings to mind like mike weinberg where he feels like he's taking crazy bills trying to explain to people that you can't be a rain barrel you still have to pick up the phone you still have to show initiative you still have to make things happen and there's all kinds of studies that show that that's you know the Salespeople are generating a lot, they're working up a lot of their own leads, and they're making things happen. And it's almost like a uh, an antidote to all these feel-good sales gurus who say, oh, no, you need to play around on social media all day. Um, and uh, it's just sort of a, uh, a defiance. That was the ge- genesis of the whole thing. I had seen, uh, and I'm a HubSpot customer, but... I had seen a lot of their ads that say never be closing and never cold call anyone. Don't interrupt people while they're at work and go out and just try to connect with them on social channels and all of that nonsense. And I was in a, I was literally in a conference getting ready to do a keynote, but I had some time. And so I was just going through my, my email and I saw an inbound 
email come in and I immediately went out to Hover, which is a, a place like GoDaddy where you can buy domain names. And I bought outboundconference.com and I bought maybe 50 derivations of Outbound. Mm-hmm. And I, I did this without ever talking to Jeb or Mark or Mike. And uh, I called Jeb later that night and I said, I just bought outboundconference.com. And we're going to do the opposite of the inbound conference. Ugh. We're going to do exactly the opposite of the inbound. This is outbound, and we're going to tell the other side of the story. And uh, he said, that is the best idea you've ever had in your life, which I wasn't really – I didn't feel good about that. I was like, I think I've had other really good ideas too. But he said this was the best and the most important, and he agreed. Mark Hunter's the easiest person in the world to get into something like this. I'm like, you want to do a giant sales conference called Outbound? And he's like, where do I sign up? And then uh, Weinberg joined us. Mike Mike won't be with us this year. He's got another uh, set of priorities. So this year, Victor Antonio is going to step into uh, Mike's spot for us. And you saw Victor last year, right? Yes, I saw him there. He was completely on fire, very entertaining. I spoke to him, and uh, that 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 looks like a a real winner. Anthony, it's uh, great to check in with you. I'm glad you had some extra time and uh, to uh, join us on Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. And I hope that uh, you and the family stay uh, safe and healthy and sane. Well, thank you very much. Good to hear your voice. And we don't have to wait for a book to do this, right? <laughs> well, to be on the Marketing Book Podcast. But uh, as long, I'm going to keep doing this until I run out of authors or quarantine, whichever comes first. So, I mean, I could probably talk to you, uh, you know, on, on a weekly <laughs> on a weekly basis. Yes, this is a free for all that I'm doing for my own uh, sanity, but also I wanted to give something to the listeners and 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 to the to the authors and just basically uh, have some fun. Well, it was fun, and thanks for having me. My pleasure. Give it away, give it away, give it away now. Give it away, 